This podcast aims to provide a general overview of how to resolve home alone issues in dogs safely and ethically. The views, opinions, and thoughts expressed are my own or those of my guest. While the information shared on this podcast is sourced from the field of learning theory, it does not necessarily represent best practices for you or your individual dog. All individuals, including dogs, are a study of one and should be treated as such. Sharing your life with a dog who suffers from separation anxiety isn't easy. Your neighbors complain about the incessant barking, your house gets destroyed when you're away, you come home to find your beloved companion clearly in a state of panic. Maybe your dog has even injured themselves during periods of being left alone. Separation anxiety is a heartbreaking behavior challenge that can be really tricky to resolve. There's so much conflicting and even harmful information out there. It can be a really overwhelming topic to navigate. Welcome to the Believe in Your Dog podcast, where you'll be able to find the most up-to-date and factual information about separation anxiety. I'm Jackie, a certified separation anxiety trainer and advocate for dogs and the creator of BelieveInYourDog.com. I'm here to help you decode separation anxiety so that you can increase your dog's welfare, quality of life, and gain back your freedom and peace of mind. In each episode, I'll take you on a separation anxiety deep dive so that you can gain the confidence needed to help your dog feel safe when left home alone. Welcome to this episode of the Believe in Your Dog podcast. Our topic today is the study of one principle, aka your dog is an individual. This is a foundational topic that is critical to really understand before embarking on a home alone training journey, which is why it's airing well before we get into how to actually train. And I have a very special guest today. Allie Verba is the owner of Training with Allie. She's a certified separation anxiety trainer and the creator of the online course, Home Alone, Four Phases to Comfort, which I highly recommend you check out. She is also the creator of her own podcast, Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck. I have so much admiration for Allie and the free content she cranks out on social media. She's super passionate about today's topic, so I'm really excited to be talking with her today. Allie, welcome. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. We had so much fun on my podcast, so I'm incredibly excited to be here today. Me too. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. Uh, We did a data tracking podcast, which I'll link in the... um, I'll link in the show notes too. So um, before we really get into why this principle is so important, let's talk about what we mean when we say your dog is an individual. And so I think it's really important that we all like define what we're talking about so that we are all on the same page and speaking the same language for our listeners. So when I'm talking about this, what I generally mean when I say your dog is a study of one is a few things. So your dog is an individual. They have their own individual genetic makeup, learning history, home environment, medical history, and all the other slews of things that are in your dog's environment. What works for one dog may not be right for your individual dog. And primarily, I mean to convey to really learn to look at your dog's behavior through this lens, this lens that they are an individual. So it's a pretty easy concept, right? But critical for us as separation anxiety trainers and for the guardians listening out there, especially if they will be tackling home alone training on their own. So Ali, definition wise, do you feel like we're on the same page here? 
So, you know what, Jackie, as with what seems like most things when it comes to separation anxiety, we're definitely on the same page. Um, The biggest thing that I like to think of and really try to explain to potential clients or new clients um, when discussing the entire idea of being an individual is that we need to step away from labels as much as we possibly can. Um, To the best of our ability, of course, they are definitely helpful in some contexts, but it's important that we start to observe the actual dog in front of us because, as we already know, not all puppies are going to act like the next puppy. Um, Not all rescues are going to act like the next rescue. Same siblings might not even act the same seniors, breeds, et cetera. But I know we'll dive deeper into all of that. Yeah. And I love that you brought up labels because that's such a important topic, but it's so hard to really avoid even as trainers and experts. Like it's really difficult to not say separation anxiety, which is a label, right? And so exactly, um, what is, and what we, what we mean when we say labels is like, Separation anxiety is a construct. It's a term that could mean any number of things, depending on who you're talking to. So I think that's why it's so important that we all make sure we're on the same page. All right. So let's talk a bit about how this principle comes into play with home alone training specifically. As CSATs, we answer a lot of client questions with, it depends, and everybody hates that. It's a super annoying answer. It doesn't, it's a non-answer. <laughs> and the reason for that vague non-answer is that the dog is an individual. So we really need to dive deeper. And for our intensive clients that we work with one-on-one, we get to work together to find that answer. But for folks listening who might not be able to work with intensively with a CSAT, I want us to really focus on helping them find the answer to It Depends. So let's start out by talking about some common examples of questions that guardians ask us where the answer might be It Depends. I mean, there's a laundry list of them. But I'll start with like one example that I come across a lot would be should my dog be able to see me leave? So like through a window, if there's a window near the exit that the dog can see out of, that should that be covered? Should it be open? So why is this an it depends answer? And how might folks find out whether their dog should be able to see them leave or not? That is such a great question. And as I'm sure you already assume, I get that one a lot as well. Um, So the tricky thing about these questions is that every dog is really going to respond differently, um, even to the same type of step during a session. So some dogs, for example, might have a really high negative emotional response to seeing their parent leave out of a specific window, while others might be you know, a little bit more visual and have comfort in being able to see what's actually going on. Um, so the only way for us to really determine what is the best path for that specific individual is to, as we already know, observe and collect data. So for example, perhaps we try a few sessions where the pup has access to the window, um, collect data on their behavior, their body language. For example, are there stressors that they're showing us as like, how long does it take them to settle down after the session, etc. And then also do some sessions where they don't have access to the window. And until we can kind of compare and contrast the two, we won't really know which one's going to be the most comfortable for that pup. Um, So yeah, as you can see, it's clearly just not as simple as always give access or always remove access. It's so, so many little nuances for each individual dog. There are so many nuances and you touched on something that I think is really important, which is a lot of this is like trial and error. Like a lot of the, a lot of our training is like experiment, see if this is the right recipe for your dog. And experiment doesn't mean do it once. It means collecting data for a week or two, right? And like watching the trends. And then there's all these other nuances of like, okay, does your dog get quote unquote upset as they see you walk away, but then they're fine after you're out of view, right? So there's mm-hmm. just all these moving pieces. And so absolutely, I prepare my clients really. I'm like, you know what? Like we're going to have a plan <laughs> and then 
that plan's going to change and we're going to get really comfortable in another plan. And then that plan's going to change based on your individual dog. So we have to be really flexible. Um, what other examples do you encounter that would require us to really dig, dig, dig deeper into that study of one principle? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, well, one thing, confinements, it's a big question. Clients are wondering, should they use crates? Should they use baby gates? Should they be left in a certain part of the house? So that's a big, it depends for sure. Um, another huge hot topic, medication. Um, a lot of clients are, Joe Schmo next door used medication or did not use medication. Do they need to use medication? Is it right for them? And as both of us already are fully aware, we are not vet professionals, so it is not our field of expertise, and we will always defer to the veterinarian. But long story short, it, it depends, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's another it depends question. Mm -hmm. um, I get this one a lot too, as of recently, and I'm not really sure what the uptick is, but probably people going back to work actually, now that I think about it, uh, what time of day to train? Like, should they always train in the morning? Should they always train in the evening, afternoon, et cetera? Um, those are a couple. I mean, I can continue on with this list if you'd like me to. <laughs> <laughs> Such a, any question that our listeners can think of probably will be, it depends really. Like <laughs> fair, honestly, fair. except for the, you know, key principles, um, you know, and then there's some I get, I get a lot of DMs on Instagram about like, hey, my dog barks for a few minutes when I leave, but then quote unquote settles down. Mm -hmm. And I have no way, right? Like if your dog truly settles down, is relaxed and comfortable for hours long durations, fine, right? But what does settles down mean? What does that look like? Right. And is it every right, time? Right, right. And then like, which door should I leave from? Um, it, it all is so... It's so tricky. And so we want to turn you all into trainers, basically. <laughs> right. And you actually just made me think of a really big, important one that definitely varies case to case, return criteria. So mm. everybody always asks, when do I come back? Do I come back at the first bark? Do I come back when my dog paws at the gate or when they go to the door? And it is so, so hard because we can't, having gone in blind and not knowing your dog, there is no way for us to be able to say, this is your return criteria, right? We Absolutely. have to dig so much deeper. It takes weeks, if not months, to figure out what, <laughs> and what then your it return criteria is. And then it changes, exactly. right? And All so, the time. yeah, and I think that honestly, I would say that's one of the more, the big things that we offer as trainers is that that one piece is so tricky, that return criteria, I mean, I have some dogs where I'm like, return when she lifts her head, <laughs> you know? Exactly, right, right, and I have not some every where, case. Yeah, I'm like, if the barks happen, like X, Y, Z, if bark continues for this duration, come back, you know, or, or right, if they're, right. you know, barking a little and then laying down, come back. So it's it's really tricky for sure. That's a big so question tricky. I get also. Um, so the study of one principle is the main reason why when someone reaches out to us on Instagram or wherever, whose dog we have zero history on, we can't really ethically give them an answer. We need an in-depth consultation. We need to have people um, have an understanding of how to do this themselves. I need to review training data. And so I, I often am like... I'm sorry, I can't help you really. Like, here's a here's a referral, or can you do a consultation? And I, I hope it doesn't come across as uh, dismissive because it's really the ethical answer. Right, right, right. Um, so let's talk about th this principle is why sort of cookie cutter or training plan recipes often fail for people when they try to DIY home alone training because we usually aren't keeping that study of one principle at the forefront and I feel like I see this a lot and especially things like if your dog has separation anxiety, leave for five minutes and then come back. 
And then the next day, <laughs> and then the next day, leave for 10 minutes and come back. And that's all it says. <laughs> it's like five right. minutes. We have this new concept of time as separation anxiety trainers, like our whole time, it's distorted, right? And we're like, five minutes is such a long time. So long, so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you come across this a lot? This uh, people kind of stumbling and failing with their home alone training due to using these recipes? Oh my goodness. More often than I would ever like to. And this is a really huge concern for me in the industry right now, as I'm seeing it honestly, more often than not that potential clients that are reaching out to me have not only tried quote unquote training, but have tried these cookie cutter or recipe types of approaches that honestly, and I'm sure you're seeing the same thing. They're leading to potentially the situation getting even worse. Mm -hmm. And in addition to the pups potentially becoming sensitized to the training process, which makes it so much harder when they finally fall in our laps because they're sensitized to the process. So right. two of the uh, most popular cookie cutter approaches right now that are that I'm seeing a lot are like, for example, the steady increase method. And as you mentioned, the 30 second, one minute, five minute, 10 minute, et cetera, plans, right? We like, I feel like the pandemic, like it's not to put blame anywhere specifically, but once everybody was working from home, it kind of just like dollar signs showed in so many people's eyes. And these weird PDFs are coming out with like, this is your recipe for how to get your dog. There's like, an app. There's like an app it's called ridiculous. like, there's like the seven day resolve your dog separation oh anxiety gosh. app. Which is... Oh my goodness. And it's if like, this, it, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, and it's like, seriously, one of the most dangerous things about these approaches, as you've already touched on, is we're not taking into consideration the individual, hence our topic for today, right? The We're not taking into consideration the environmental setup that that dog is in, or even their observable behavior. So we're not making those necessary adjustments that our clients that are working with us see, as you mentioned, our plan changes day to day, week to week, month to month. It's never the same. And we already know behavior is not linear. Like I, I can only speak for myself, but I have never once had a case that went from five seconds to 10 seconds to one minute to two minutes. Like mm -hmm. that's amazing and beautiful, but that's just not how the brain works. Right. 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 And, um, yeah, I, I think it's also relevant with other areas of dog training too. And some of the really great, uh, positive reinforcement trainers on Instagram always kind of touch on this as well is that, hey, I'm putting this information out there as like tips, but I want you to be aware that your dog's an individual. So things like tips on puppy biting, right? Like here's a quick thing you can do. And one example is like redirecting, you know? <laughs> so like <laughs> redirect your puppy when they bite. And a lot of times we can create that like behavior chain of like, I bite, I get attention, redirect. I bite, I get, ooh, I like biting because I get attention, redirect, yep. right? Yep, so you have yep, to be exactly. really careful. It's all very nuanced, not just separation anxiety training. Totally. No, I completely agree. So I feel like another common area that we should shine a light on with the study of one flashlight is that of breed characteristics. Um, like, of course, genetics play a huge part of who an animal is and what behavior traits they might or might not have. But you really can't be 100% with this. It's nature and nurture. There's so much more at play that influences behavior, primarily the environment, learning experience, learning history. Um, and so this is something that I encounter a lot where this idea that breed or genetics are everything or like certain breeds are more apt to suffer with home alone issues or rescues only. Right? And that's totally <laughs> not true. A lot of my a lot of mine aren't. Um, I get a mix of both, you know, so talk a little about um, what you're seeing with that. Do you encounter that often? 
Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess there's a reason why you chose me for this topic. Everything you're talking about is really pulling at my heartstrings right now. Um, So yes, uh, long story short, I see this way too often. Um, The idea of labels in general is just really not as helpful as we would hope in some situations. And just because a dog of X breed is like from specific makeup does not mean that they need to be trained differently as we know that they need to live in a different type of home that they should absolutely always partake in xyz activities and not only that but when when we're starting to understand genetics and breed uh, differences, we are starting to understand that there's even more variance within a specific breed label than across multiple breeds in some situations. And honestly, that's not even taking into consideration the percentage of pups these days that aren't even in fact purebred, um, but rather like a mix of multiple breeds. And how are we supposed to determine which breed in that mix is going to be the most prevalent? Like, do we look at their tail posture to see how they will behave? Are their markings going to help us determine their reinforcers? Um, will their body size tell us how they will respond in a specific situation? Totally not. So like, we definitely have to dig deeper than just appearance, especially for these mixed breed pups. Yeah. And that's another, another labels topic, right? Of like a, a breed is a label that we Absolutely. apply and, and it's really, we've got to look at that individual dog and their environment. So how do you help people shift this mindset from my dog is X, so he will do Y or be more prone to Z or to totally. my dog is an individual? Right, right, right. So I always try to put it in human terms when there's like a weird topic that may or may not be kind of crossing barriers for both people. So put it this way, we have three siblings all from the same mother and father, like same upbringing. They potentially are going to grow up to be different individuals. Why? Because they are all individuals. Sure, they might share some of the same genetic makeup, but a lot of what we experience on the day-to-day is going to shape what we are and who we are. So we can have three people in the same room all experiencing the same type of setup and everybody's going to leave with their own story of what happened and that's kind of life and that's how everybody is and when it comes down to it we really need to be looking at the big picture we need to look at everything that that individual has had we need to look at their background their learning experiences their potential trauma and take all of that into consideration especially for our dogs that struggle with separation anxiety Right. And now we know, you know, these days that like the environment, I forget the term for this, but the environment can even affect genes and like turn certain genes on and off. Right. So there's so much, there's so much to dig into there. Uh, I want to talk about a big topic of social media. So social media is a blessing and a curse. We get to spread like scientifically sound information to folks who may not be able to work directly with us. We get to reach like a vast audience on a daily basis. We get to share these cute graphics with little nuggets of wisdom and advice. But I I really worry that those nuggets of wisdom and advice could do harm without that crucially important disclaimer, your dog's an individual. And you do such a great job on your social media plugging that disclaimer in, which I really appreciate. And I do keep a disclaimer blog on this topic penned at the top of the link in my bio, which I hope that people read before they, you know, dig through my Instagram. And um, yeah, what message do you have for our listeners about how they can be discerning when it comes to consuming information on social media about home alone training specifically? How can they sort of vet what they're reading? 
Absolutely. So first and foremost, just always remember every dog is an individual. The big things that I try to showcase and just show like clients that they like what they should be looking for in regards to potentially finding a trainer is big things like social proof. Like if you don't have a, if you're following a specific Instagram and they are claiming recipes or they are claiming a specific approach, but you're not seeing success stories, you're not seeing them openly discuss their techniques. You're not seeing the differences between different cases, um, which I know both of us do a lot. Like when we're posting our successes of Fido reached five hours of alone time, we also talk about their story and how individual it was because it's not like every single dog is going to get to that time frame in the same amount of time or even on the same trajectory. So definitely looking at their overall success. And if, I mean, a lot of us out there right now, we all have some sort of free gra- like free guide or something on our website. I would look into that and I would kind of get your feels for who that trainer is, what their techniques are, what their approach is, and look at all of that before you actually dive in and fully invest. Because this is, if we're talking about separation anxiety or alone time specifically, this is going to be the long haul, unfortunately. These are never quick, easy fixes. So we need to make sure that first off, you're not making the situation worse for both yourself financially, emotionally, but also for your dog and their level of anxiety, trauma, stress, whatever they're experiencing. Um, But also just make sure that it's the right person for you because there are there's multiple of us CSATs out there, right? And I support and love every single one of them that I've ever met. And when it comes down to it, not everybody's going to be the right fit for you. So getting in and kind of digging deeper and making sure that it's not only going to be a along the lines of humane ethic, ethical approaches that you're hoping for, but also somebody that you jive with that you want to talk to almost daily because that's, <laughs> that's, that's you're gonna. It's going to be, you're going to, they're going to be your best friend, whether you like it or not. That's what I love about <laughs> this job. I have like all these besties. I don't have to have real friends. So yeah, that's great. That's really great information. I, I think it's really important for us as CSATs to be posting uh, testimonials and success stories. And in those testimonials, I always wait until the dog has, um, they've reached their goals and they're finished. And then I ask for um, a testimonial that talks about where you started how we got there, what your dog can do now. And I think that's so important because people come into this and they're like, this is never going to work. <laughs> like, right, you know, right, and it's months right. or years of work. And uh, we need to be showing people that it does work and it, and it will work. It's just on your dog's own, own timeline. Yep. And then to also touch on uh, CSATs. So um, we specialize in this, like we, um, and many CSATs only work with separation anxiety. Uh, and so a lot of CSATs, including you, I believe, offer 30-minute or 20-minute uh, free consultations. So if you're coming across information on a website or on Instagram and you're not really sure, like take advantage of that 20, 30-minute consult. And I also have a resources page on my website with links to other separation anxiety trainers, Instagrams and websites, and a lot of them offer those free consults. So they love, we love talking about separation anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit too much. <laughs> right. Um, what would you say is the most important thing listeners can educate themselves on that will really help them view their dog as an individual? I love this. Um, so taking into consideration that we both specifically work on anxiety, so therefore many of your followers will 
likely be in the same boat. Um, one of the first things I would recommend to all listeners is to observe their dogs, start to map out their individual dogs, what, what I call their stress escalation ladder, um, determine what comfortable look like, what, what does neutral look like, what does stress look like, et cetera. And not only that, but even pet owners that aren't working on anxiety, uh, just be with your dog, um, learn with your dog, find out what your dog loves, what they find reinforcing, find out what they don't really find reinforcing, and let's move away from lumping them into categories. Because only you really know who your dog is, not some book or some article or the neighbor down the street that has a similar looking dog. Your dog is an individual, right? So you love them for who they are. And we should really honestly just stop putting pressure to fill some certain mold that your dog may or may not be prepared to or able even to fill. Yeah. And you touched on um, the guy down the street who has a dog. That was, <laughs> so I want to say too, that an important thing you can educate yourself on is to learn how to ignore well-meaning advice from people who do not, who are not experts in dog behavior, one, but two, are not uh, familiar with your individual dog, right? Exactly. Um, and I love that. Just be with them and learn with them. And for me, um, touching on also what you said, body language is a big one. So there are great resources out there on body language. And the thing about body language is it's also a label. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> every dog's going to have, every single dog I work with, has wildly different body language indicators when they're comfortable, when they're uncomfortable. So that's a really big one is learning your individual dog's body language, like study them. Like you said, I love like spend if, spending a few minutes each day, maybe recording them and then go back and watch it in slow motion. Like just see, right. you're going to see so much stuff. And when, when my clients start to learn about body language, the ones who knew nothing about body language, they're just they have a completely different relationship with their dog because it really creates that empathy too of like, oh, wow, you're uncomfortable right now and I had no idea. And then caveat, <laughs> once you <laughs> learn dog body language, you're going to see stressed dogs everywhere. So we apologize. Right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> too true, too true. Yeah, so I'm going to include some links in the show notes to body language resources that I really like, including... Um, Doggy Language by Lily Chen, which is a favorite book. Um, and so I also want to plug in the data tracking podcast that Allie and I did a while back, because I think data tracking and understanding data tracking, and we're going to do another podcast on data tracking. I'll probably bring Allie on for that, too, because <laughs> uh, we've already done it. Um to listen to that podcast and really start understanding that data tracking is another way that you can really get to know your individual dog because every dog's data tracking chart is going to look wildly different too. Absolutely. Okay. So in finishing, I have a few quotes I want to share. Um, a couple from Dr. Susan Friedman, the creator of behaviorworks.org. She has a really fantastic online course for animal professionals called Living and Learning with Animals, which was a complete game changer for me in both my personal and professional life. And one quote I love from her is, every learner must be respected as an individual and our teaching plans customized for them. I love that. Me too. Yeah. But I think the, that's one of the ways that we met too, was through her course there. Was it? We like, both, yeah. Outside of oh, CSATs, yeah. like that's kind of when we're like, wait a second. Oh, we like I love that thing. course. <laughs> Any CSATs listening to, I highly recommend that course. It's really going to um, open your eyes more so, even more so if possible to that study of one. And Susan Friedman also says, the one rule to adhere to is the study of one. 
And a quote from IAABC's Hierarchy of Procedures page, the evaluation and behavior change program of every animal should be a study of the individual, i.e. individual animal, setting, caregiver, etc. Changing behavior is best understood as a study of one. I have no idea who that quote's from, but there's no, <laughs> there's no credit given on the page, but it's a great one. Um, I want to take a moment to plug your Home Alone Academy uh, thing that you have going on. I'm not super aware of what it entails, but you're doing it. So I'm sure it's amazing. Um, (laughs) I'm probably a lot of CSATs are waitlisted. I know I'm currently just books are closed tight. And Ali, you've provided all these various ways for people to get support, which is amazing. So can you talk a little about the Home Alone Academy and how folks can get signed up for that? Yeah, no, of course. And this is actually going to be coming out in perfect timing, too, because I am going to have another scholarship launched like mid-July, which I think is when this is going to be coming out. So it'll be perfect. Awesome. Um, So, yeah, the Home Alone Academy was my approach at creating an intensive program that would kind of transition from the trainer having the full reign of what's going on and gradually switching over to the client taking over. So within a four-month span, it starts with me as I would with an intensive, and we gradually just start to layer and pass on over some of the... Uh, session creation, uh, threshold check-ins, et cetera. So gradually they take over. And by the end of the four months, um, many clients are going to have a much more thorough understanding of adding in pre-departure cues, changing criteria, like all those specifics. So I only launch it three times a year, but there will be one. I'm going to be taking applications right at around the time of uh, this airing. So yeah, perfect timing. And we can include that in the show notes too, if you want. Awesome. That That is such a wonderful resource. Um, because I think one of the harder things for me anyway as a trainer is like letting them fly solo or like <laughs> I'm such a control freak. I think we all are like because we kind of have to be in a way like um, totally. and I always like say to people, I, I'm like, I will tell you when I feel like it's time like for you and your dog and you can fly solo. And sometimes there's just things we need to get more information on. And I'm like, give me another month, you know? And so it's right. it's tricky to train people to be a trainer for their own dog, especially because it's so hard to be objective with your own dog. So Completely. <laughs> no, that's, that's definitely why we do the application process because it's not for everybody. It is really for, you know, those go-getters accountable that really want to take like this over on their own. And of course, every client would ideally like to, but once we start talking about it, some people realize that maybe a little <laughs> bit more handholding is for them. Right. But yeah. I hear you. That's why I created this. Cause I was like, I don't ever want to let any of you go. So you're going to stay with me. <laughs> yep. yeah, I wish, no, I, I, wish I could do this for free. <laughs> yeah, right? but, so, yeah, um, it, it, I think it does take a particular type and mindset from the client to be able to pursue this on their own. And part of this podcast, I want to be like, not just about the training itself, but like the mindset you want to go into with the training, all the things you want to understand before you start training. And if it ever just feels like, oh my God, this is too much. I already have a full-time job. I'm not that interested in data tracking and nerding out on behavior. I just want my dog to be comfortable home alone. There's tons of other resources out there for you. All right. Great. Thank you so much for being here, Allie. This was so much fun. I look forward to having you on again in the future. Absolutely. You know, my pleasure entirely. And anytime you want to talk about data tracking, you know where to find me. All right. Cool. (laughs) Be sure to check out the show notes for further information and resources on the topics we discussed today. If you have any questions or comments or feedback related to this episode, I would love to hear from you. You can contact me via email at believeinyourdog at gmail.com. 
To learn more about separation anxiety, visit my website, believeinyourdog.com. You can also check out success stories and trainer tips on Instagram and Facebook. User ID, believe in your dog.